1: Live from the studios of News Talk 1480 WHBC, it's Kenny and JT.
2: Cavaliers basketball coming your way later tonight here on WHBC. 7.30 pregame tip-off is 8 o'clock because they're on the road beginning, what is this, a 1, 2, 3, 4-game road trip at Oklahoma City and joining us right now to preview that game and uh, get the early returns using a uh, voting uh, term there to uh, describe the Cavaliers to this point at 3-4. and Our good buddy Chris Fedor, Cavs beat reporter for Cleveland.com. CFED, how was the flight to uh, OKC, my friend?
1: Guys, there were no issues. My bag made it on time. I made it on time. There were no delays. So starting off a road trip that way, It's very, very promising. We just don't know what the next day is going to hold or the next or the
2: next. (laughs) I hear you, man. Always nice to make sure the bag gets there along with you, Chris. So uh, before we get into tonight's preview against Oklahoma City, uh, let's go back and review the first seven games. Cavaliers 3-4 and coming off their biggest win of the season Sunday against Golden State. Chris, uh, your thoughts through seven games from what you've seen from this team so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, guys, given the level of inconsistency that they've had with their lineups, um, starting lineup and their rotation, the amount of injuries that they've been dealing with, um, I think there's obviously been a level of inconsistency with their performance that comes with those kinds of things. Not only is it a newer team, not only are there newer pieces that J.B. Vickers staff and his staff are trying to integrate, um, not only is it a new offensive style, Um, and some of the concepts defensively are slightly different because of the personnel that they added this offseason. All of those things were going to contribute to um, a lack of inconsistency in the way that they played at the start of the season. Then you toss on the fact that they used four different starting lineups in the first five games. Darius Garland, who is one of the leaders of this team, one of the engines of the offense not being there. Jared Allen, who is integral to everything that they want to do. At both ends of the floor, I think it's just a realistic assessment to say that there has been inconsistency and a level um, of uncertainty with what they've been trying to do early on in the season. And there's reason to believe that some of those struggles that we've seen early on are going to be more of a thing of the past once they come together and get an opportunity um, to be whole again.
0: That kind of answers my question because what I was going to look at it was, do you like what you see so far? And we know it's only seven games in. But when I start thinking of teams, other players, and the stars on other teams, and we've got one against us tonight, Shai Gilgus Alexander, last time we played them, he scores 34. Halliburton, double digits. Brunson, when we take on the Knicks, double digits. Do you expect more of that? Or is it one of those, you know, like when LeBron James was here, let him get his and let's try to shut down everyone else?
1: I just think the reality of this team, guys, is that their defense is built on protecting the paint and two interior forces in Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. that cover up weaknesses um, that are all defense-type players. But out on the perimeter, that's where the weak points are. Mm -hmm. Isaac Okoro is no longer in the starting lineup. He's no longer playing next to Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and taking those kinds of assignments. Now it's on Darius. Now it's on Donovan they're going to have to show that they can consistently guard their man and make things more difficult on those star perimeter players that you're talking about, JT, and the star perimeter players that the Cavs are going to continue to see as they progress through the season. Um, And I just think there are going to be issues that those two guys are going to have specifically when it comes to defending them. But If the Cavs as a whole Mm -hmm. can be a great defensive team, even with some of those weak points on the perimeter, that's really all that's going to matter. And at the start of the season, they were struggling on defense. They weren't playing up to the standard that they believe they're capable of, the the standard that J.B. Bickerstaff has set. And since Jared Allen came back and the team got more whole, all of a sudden they're knocking on the door of a top-ten defense in the NBA again, and I don't think it's going to be too long. Before they crack the top 10 and even the top five, because when you have those two unique players um, on the interior of your defense and they're going to play 30 to 36 minutes a night, the Cavs are going to be a great team um, because that's how they're constructed defensively.
0: Chris Vidor with Cleveland.com talking Cavaliers basketball right now on the Kenny and JT Show. See fed when you think about this team last year, it seemed as though the second unit wasn't as strong as it was the year before, and I understand why. And We made the moves, and they bring in Donovan Mitchell. But so far this season, the second unit, are you surprised that they're playing pretty decently and even more so? How surprised are you and how much playing time Tristan is seeing?
1: <laughs> I'm not that surprised, guys, at, at how the second unit has played. Um, this is a deeper team. This is a more talented team um and I think j b. vickerstaff has um more certainty with what he's going to be able to go to when it comes to his bench and I think the other thing, there are fewer either or choices when it comes to j b and I think that gives him a level of trust and a level of belief that he didn't necessarily have last year. If you think about his decisions last year, it was so much about okay. If I go with Lamar Stevens, I'm getting defense, but I'm not getting a ton of offense. right? If I go with Jetty Osman, I'm getting some movement, I'm getting some shooting, maybe some playmaking, but he's one of the worst defenders in the entire NBA by any metric that you want to look at. In Isaac Okoro, it's the same thing. Okay, I'm losing a bunch on offense, but I get the rugged defense, I get the ability to get out in transition, and things along those lines. There are more two-way options for JB on his bench that he can be a little bit more creative with his lineup. He can be more versatile with his lineups. He can play four shooters. He can play five out. All those different things are now more available to him because of the personnel change, and it wasn't that way last year because it was a limited bench that he had. So I'm not all that surprised. By the level of success that they've been having, I think guys understand their roles. They're comfortable in those roles. They're getting familiar um, with how they can be effective within those roles. And when it comes to Tristan Thompson, I had somebody um, at the beginning of the season inside the organization say, "Well, he can't be worse on the court than Robin Lopez, right?" <laughs> so you <laughs> they
0: know, never played John Lopez, Tristan, though. Maybe that's why they I had don't know. To
1: like, at times, they had to play him just to get a little bit of size out there, and they lurked quickly. Like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. probably not going to work. He's not going to give us much on the court. And I think Tristan, you know, for all the things that, that he brings to the table from an intangible standpoint that's and right. a leadership standpoint, he has shown that there's a little right. bit left for him from a productivity standpoint. Um, And he has displaced Damian Jones already Mm -hmm. in this nightly rotation because Damian Jones was just terrible at the beginning of the year.
2: Happy to have with us Chris Fedor, Outstanding Cavs Beat Reporter, Cleveland.com. Chris, let's go to the new guys, right? And we'll start with the, the biggest new guy, and that would be Max Struess. Uh, lit it up in his first game, uh, not shooting as well since then, but is he contributing in other ways? The concern I had about him is his inconsistency. Uh, one good game, one bad game. Two good games, two bad games. How has he looked through only seven games so far overall?
1: Guys, I think that's just going to be part of who he is, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many people that look at these different role players and they want more consistency. And it's like, well, that's what makes them role players, right? Like, Karis LeVert is who he is. He's not a starting caliber, top three guy that you're going to build around because of that level of inconsistency. Max Struess is not an all-star on the surface. Max Struess is not a $25 million, $30 million wing because there is a level of inconsistency with his game. But I think the broader point is that he can impact games even when he's not shooting at a high clip his three point percentage is not near up to his standards his three point percentage early this season is not what the Cavs expected but they're like 17 points per 100 possessions better with him on the court because of the gravity because of the movement because of his ability to take pressure off of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell And him being out there, no matter if he's making shots or not, he's a threat to the opposing defense. And they can't guard Darius and Donovan the way that they would want to guard those guys because they don't want to leave Max Struess open for three because they know what his reputation and because they know he is capable of getting hot and knocking down seven threes in a game. So I do think he is bringing more to the table he's making a positive impact the Cavs starting lineup and it's a small sample size they've only been together just a little bit here because of the injury to Jared Allen but they are absolutely decimating opponents um they're 19 points per 100 possessions better than opponents they've got an offensive rating of 119 which would be third best in the NBA and they've got a defensive rating together of 100 which would be the best in the NBA So he's still providing an impact, and this team is still functioning at a high level, even though he has been inconsistent, even though he is missing shots. And it makes you think, okay, if he starts shooting at the percentages that he has shown throughout his career, how is that going to lead to this offense taking the next step? And you get a little bit excited about that possibility.
2: All right, what about Georgie Niang uh, so far? Again, up and down, is that just fitting into a new offense?
1: Finding his way, right? Like I think he's trying to figure out where his minutes are coming from, where his shots are going to come from. Um, His teammates are still learning how to play with somebody like that, and and that's part of what comes with with this team together. They weren't drastic changes that were made this off season. They didn't add somebody like Damian Lillard. They didn't shift around their team the way that Boston did by bringing in Kristaps Porzingis and using a completely different look, but. These types of players, Max Drews and George Niang, the kind of shooters they are, the kind of movement that they bring to the table, the Cavs players aren't used to playing with guys like that. right? They aren't used to diversifying the offense away from so much pick-and-roll stuff that they ran so effectively at times in the regular season last year. Um, So I do think there is some newness involved in his shooting percentages. And the thing that we know about Niang is For his entire career, he's been a 40% three-point shooter. That isn't just going to stop because he came to Cleveland. And you would think that there's going to be some positive regression when it comes to his shooting.
2: Chris, as I I look at the offseason moves, I think they're a better team, no question about it, right? I mean, Max Terus is an upgrade over uh you know anybody they had playing the wing last year as a starter yeah. so it's definitely a better team on paper and we're starting hopefully to see that on the floor but how much better is my question compared to what the other teams in the eastern conference did in the off season?
1: i have no idea i think that remains to be seen because i have the same question that you do kenny and jt i i have the same question that i think a lot of people around the nba do um we saw a couple of years ago this team go from 22 wins to 44 in the play-in tournament. Then we saw them go from 44 wins in a play-in tournament appearance to 51 wins and a playoff appearance. Um, they have to show that they're ready to take that next step as an organization. Um, we know that they're good. I just don't think anybody knows just how good they are. I don't think the Cavs know how good they are or how good mm. they can be. I think J.B. Vickerstaff's is still trying to figure that out. I think the Cavs' front office is still trying to figure that out. Because going from bad to good in the NBA is a whole lot easier than going from good to great. And for the right. Cavs to get on the same level as you know Boston in the Eastern Conference, Denver out West, um, Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference. If you're looking at this in tiers, I think the honest way to assess the Cavs and where they stand in the East is that, There is a gap. It's Boston-Milwaukee and a huge gap between those two teams and the rest of the East, which, however you want to cluster them together, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Atlanta, if you want to put in that second tier, or maybe you see it as Philadelphia, Cleveland, New York, with Atlanta in the third tier. I think the Cavs are a second-tier Eastern Conference team, but I think they're better equipped to, to deal with what's coming at them in a seven-game playoff series than they were last year. That doesn't mean that they're going to get out of the first round um, because a lot of that is going to be dependent on what matchup they see in the first round. But they're better equipped and they have more optionality as a roster um, to handle some of the things that, that a team like New York threw at them in the playoff series that they just weren't equipped to deal with.
2: Chris Fedor, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Love the insight. Keep up the fantastic work. We always appreciate it. Safe travels, and we'll talk again down the road, all right?
1: You got it, guys. Anytime.
2: Follow him on Twitter, at Chris Fedor. Read him daily in uh, wherever you pull up your Cleveland.com reading, on your phone, on your tablet, on your website, whatever it is, you can check out what he has to say about the Cavaliers on a regular basis there. So thanks to Chris Fedor for joining us.